Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You probably need a little bit of therapy. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Never. Yeah. Uh, How are you? Did you have a good week? I, yeah, busy week, busy week, but good. What was so busy about it? Well, we're in production on a, on a TV show for History Channel, mm. and it's been... Uh, Does it involve yeah, sharks it, at all? It involves uh, Harley bikers riding through the desert. Oh, yeah. No, I can, I can handle that, because that's a thing that happens, <laughs> right? That's, like, real. It's, it's, yeah, it is real. It's not, it's not, you know, crazy aliens or Like, that's a thing like that. Harley drivers are prone to do. Is ride across the desert is what I'm gathering because they it's are. the History Channel. They have they are at least prone to do so today, or have at some point in the past ridden their bikes across the desert. Yes, it's history. Forty Otherwise, days, I, I forty long there. nights. Who was it biblically who did this? I'm sure he was on a motorcycle. That's all. I'm <laughs> Noah. No, no, that's rain. It rains for 40 days and 40 long nights. That was the thing. And he had no mode. There were no, there was no like his and her Harleys on the ark. (laughs) Yeah. That's how they survived. It's how they survived the motorcycles is because they were on the ark. (laughs) Was that Uh, Aronofsky's version? Maybe that's why it got so much grief. <laughs> that's priceless. I don't remember the motorcycles <laughs> in the Bible, Harry. <laughs> uh, priceless. Priceless. Um, man, Bible humor. We could just go <laughs> on. That is a treasure trove. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, I uh, let's see. Do I have anything to add? I saw something. What did I see? I saw something. I didn't see Gone Girl. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, I did. Did you see it? I, I am. Yes. I, this is only, not for lack of trying. I I did try to make it work. I just couldn't see it this week. What do you want to give me a quick? Because uh, you have you had you read the book? I hadn't, okay. and I was very pleasantly surprised by everything in the film. And my wife had read the book, and she also uh, really enjoyed the film. She said they did uh, a really good job of adapting it. Oh, so. I'm so, so glad to hear that. What it was her take on the end? Like the change at the end? Whatever happened at the end, I it's understand very, there was a change. I, I guess it's, it's a fairly minor change from oh. our conversation didn't seem like anything very big it's just something that they modified to make it work better uh in a film rather than in a book i was open for a bigger change yeah it's uh, well i, I told what her you're that saying the end was what you're saying is nobody dies is that what you're saying <laughs> that's right well yeah there's this big christmas scene and everyone comes together <laughs> and you know her parents are there and, and, and there's his the persian cat comes. under the chair gets electrocuted yes. It it's was funny. Really, yeah, it was humor. 
I was not expecting it to change and become such a funny film at the end. But. <laughs> that Fincher. Man, does you know you how pull, pull a fast one on you. <laughs> the Fincher fast one. Is this, uh, what's your what's your take? I know we're going to have, we're going to have to do a detailed talk about this. We're going to have to do a show on this just because we're completionists and need to have this as part of our Fincher collection. But uh, right. in general, how does, how do you stack this after just, just seeing it? How do you stack it in the ranks of the other Fincher films, particularly related to Alien 3? <laughs> well, it's better than Alien 3. <laughs> So, so don't worry there. You know, it's, it's, I mean, he, he's still my favorite director and I feel like there's so many stinking good movies that he's made that it's hard to top some of those best ones. Um, but it still is definitely in the, in the middle territory. In the so, middle territory. Well, that's because the top is full of just really good films. So this like, is not a really excellent. good film. This is not an no, excellent it film. It, it is saying. a really good film. You're saying it's not an excellent film. <laughs> this film really sucked. Your words, not mine, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want I, my money back. I can't, <laughs> I can't <laughs> wait. Stellar and Waldorf here. I, I cannot <laughs> wait to see it. I am uh, very, very much looking forward to this film. And uh, hopefully, I, I know I won't see it this weekend, but definitely next week. I'm, I'm on for next week, early next week. So there you go. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Do we have any other news, or should we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? Hey, everybody. It's the next reel. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, I'm Pete Wright. That there's Andy Nelson. Yo. And we spoil movies. This week we are continuing our seemingly never-ending series on Stephen King movie adaptations with 1983's Christine, uh, as told through the loving and gentle arms of John Carpenter. And uh, so we're going to jump right into that. But first, you should get to know us a little better by hanging out at thenextreel.com. You can read the blog stylings of the Once and Future King, Steve Sarmento. You can catch up with all of our past shows and, and all of our special edition monthly episodes of The Film Board. Uh, and just, uh, just this month, we, did, uh, the, we all got equalized. Every one of us, we got equalized thoroughly, thoroughly, and uh, and so that is uh, something you should check out. You can head over to Facebook or uh, Google Plus or Twitter and join us for the conversation there. Uh, we always love hearing recommendations for films and series that you think we should take on, and we appreciate deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate it when you write in. So thanks so much, everybody who has done that. Um, do we have any updates on that front? We are getting really close. And the Listener's Choice Drawing is next week. So you've got one more week, everybody, to get your name or get your comments given to us over on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, wherever it is that uh, you find us. Make sure that you leave us a comment so that you can be entered into our Listener's Choice Drawing, which we are going to be doing on our show next week. Oh, that's fantastic. And the blog, too, right? If you comment on the shows on the show, you're in there, too, right? Absolutely. Right. The blog, Google Plus for the three of you who are using it. <laughs> That's so mean. Uh, how would you feel if you, nobody came and hung out with you ever? <laughs> or Ello, even Ello. <laughs> uh, 
yes, you, anywhere that you can reach us, reach us and let us and get that movie in your head that you're going to recommend. Because if for those of you who are new to the show and you haven't been through a listener's choice, here's what we do: you, if you win the listener's choice drawing, we reach out to you uh, on the interweb and we uh, we talk to you and you uh, jump on Skype with us. Uh, and we record an interview with you, and you tell us why this movie is important to you, why you think it's worth talking about, and why you think it's important to uh, introduce this film or reintroduce this film to the next real community. So uh, we sure appreciate your participation and uh, help in uh, introducing great films to uh, uh, to people who need to hear to watch them. How is that? <laughs> That's what we do here, right? <laughs> you said it just right. <laughs> Uh, excellent. Now, uh, speaking of getting back into routine, how do we do this week on Andy versus the People Pony Prize Instagram hashtag challenge and the wa da do da? The la da do da. You know, it was it was uh, Mr. Smart versus the People this week, or or uh, whatever we decided to call us. Um, and he oh, did a good standy. job. It was, uh, right, Standy. There yes. you go. It's the Standies. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, it was it was three images this week. It was uh, my big fat Greek wedding, which had some great mysterious images kind of leading leading in. But uh, image three, uh, JB eighty six was able to name that it was my big fat Greek wedding and is now entered to win the pony prize. Excellent! Yes. Excellent! So congratulations, JB eighty six. What was it to think about that gave it away? Those people. You know, I don't know that movie very well. I've seen it once. I've seen it once, but that woman looks extremely familiar in the image three. Like her face. I'm like, yeah. okay, I know I've seen her in something before. She looks like that. Yeah. That I think I face. probably would have gotten it by image five. Dancing Zorbas, I think I could have gotten that. Definitely that probably, by six, I would have been embarrassed had I missed it by then. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Right. I would hope so. Well, anyhow. Yeah. Let's do trailers! I think I'm going to go first because mine is a trailer of optimism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying here? Yours is. I, you know what? I, there are so many movies that I could have done uh, this week that are good, intense, and, you know, horrific. Suspenseful, whatever. Uh, but I decided that I needed to do a film that was going to to make me feel good, and that if I could find one, specifically was based on an actual theme park. And as it <laughs> happens, just today, the trailer for Tomorrowland, Disney's Tomorrowland, came out. It's it, you know, the most thing I'm most excited about. It's a Brad Bird film, and I love Brad Bird. I love Brad Bird. I think he is a clever monkey and his films make me happy and they make me smile this is a film based on i you know loosely on the uh themed area of disney parks around the world tomorrowland takes us into a place in the future and in this film george clooney and uh the lovely young Britt robertson robertson uh go into tomorrowland and every action changes the world uh it mm -hmm. looks like a a happy fun uh big uh you know, big effects tentpole film that makes me uh, really want to take my kids to it. And I like movies like that. It looks really great. The The whole, I don't know, the trailer really got me excited. And it's really a teaser that they released. Yeah, it's but, a teaser. 
but it's just it, but it does a really good job of teasing like i don't get much of a sense of story but it makes me very excited about everything about this film true and uh you know for something that's based on a a uh, one part of disneyland it's uh you know it's i i feel like they've actually found a really good story to tell and you're right brad bird i think for me is also the most exciting part about this the fact that um that he is helming it really um gives me a lot of confidence that they can make something out of it and that it's not going to be um what's a bad example haunted mansion there's a bad uh, <laughs> was example that, eddie of murphy? A, that was eddie murphy uh, oh. trying to ride the uh amusement park yeah. <laughs> it becomes a film that was uh, not train <laughs> or the the uh horrible follow-up concession area <laughs> concession Re- area really poor right right <laughs> actually i suppose they already did that it was called adventureland what a snoozer <laughs> that was Oh, that yes. was a movie. Remember that movie? I thought I was going to like that movie. I actually saw it and thought in hindsight that I liked that movie. And then I saw it again because I recommended it to my wife. I said, you should watch this. It's a cute movie. You know, oh, my God, I was asleep in 15 minutes. Yeah, I, you know, I, it, it has its following, but I didn't click with that one. I didn't either. I no. anti-clicked with that one. I unclicked with that film. Wow. What's wow. yours? Oh, I should tell you, uh, May 22nd, 2015. So we got some time, but it looks like it's uh, it's going to be Disney's, uh, one of Disney's big summer releases next year. <laughs> one of them, next to their Marvel and Star Wars films. That's exactly. I was, yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is, <laughs> this is the one that's not Marvel and Star Wars. Uh, uh, we, so. we should start marketing, which month is Disney not releasing a film in? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. Trailers that uh, won't compete with Disney series. Exactly. Uh, what's yours? Mine is a really quirky comedy called Stretch that uh, they're really plugging right now on uh, social media channels with a lot of really fun, uh, you know, outtakes and uh, behind-the-scenes looks at this uh, new Joe Carnahan movie that uh, looks just really, really funny. Patrick Wilson is heading it up and. There's something about him that I've just always loved ever since I, I, I can't remember what the first film I saw him in. Um, maybe, uh, I, well, it wasn't, uh, I didn't see Hard Candy when it first came out, but wherever I first saw him, uh, it was Little Children, actually, that's what I first saw him in. And I've just always enjoyed him. I think he brings a, a really interesting presence to films. And But I've never seen him in quite, quite, as comedic a role as the turn in this film is. I mean, this film is about this uh, limo driver who is down on his luck, trying to, he's, he's owes $6,000 to his bookie and he, they're going to kill him if he doesn't get the money back. And so he ends up taking this really crazy passenger and, and, and help and who kind of helps him get the money, but there's this ledger and, uh, you know, dangerous criminals and all this crazy stuff that ensues. And then of course, in there, you've got Chris Pine, as I don't know what, but a very wacky sort of character that just makes me laugh. Uh, it's got Norman Reedus in it, Jessica Alba. I already said Chris Pine. Uh, Ray Liotta pops in there. Ed, Ed Helms, Helms. Yeah. with a great little mustache. Uh, Randy Couture. It's uh, quite a, 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 a you know a lot of good faces in it, and it's Joe Carnahan. He's done some stuff that I've liked. He, uh, you know, I love the gray. I think the gray is. Um, you know, one of my favorites of the last 10 years. Um, he, you know, I, I never got into the Smoking Aces 
films. I'm curious to maybe one day try them again and see if I can get into them now. But, uh, you know, all the way back to NARC, I really love that. And so, I don't know. I'm giving it, uh, uh, I'm giving it a vote of confidence, and I'm uh, putting this down as one that I want to see. I, I I'm actually thrilled to to see it. I think it looks uh, I think it looks good. I'm you know I'm uh, most excited to see uh, Norman Reedus, uh, and I didn't I don't actually remember seeing him in the trailer. No, I don't think I but don't he, think I saw him either. He's he's like uncredited or uh, unnamed top sort of cast billing in here. Like I know he has a part at some point if he just sort of walks on. Uh, but I like that he's in movies. Uh, he's one of my very favorite characters on The Walking Dead. Uh, its fifth season starts Sunday. People <laughs> line it up. And uh, and so I like that he is making that transition to uh, m- more and bigger films. He's an actor that I'm I'm excited to see grow. Yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. That's it. And this uh, one, uh, when's yeah, it come it, out? It, it uh, you know it's actually coming out very very soon, October fourteenth. And from the looks of it, it uh, doesn't look like it got a theatrical distribution deal. It looks like it's going to be an internet distribution starting October fourteenth. So. So but we're going to be optimistic anyway. Out. We're That's just going right. to keep our heads held high. Here, here. <laughs> you go, Stretch. Uh, awesome. Are you bad to the bone? Sonny, you ever owned a car before? No. I just got my license. Start her up. Her name's Christine. I like that. I saw you guys at the football game. How'd you ever get that car fixed up like that? Oh, it's plain old-fashioned hard work. Ever since he bought that car, he's been obsessed with it. And you know what else? They told us the man who owned that car last died in it. What do you know about that car? I know that the guy who owned the car before, Arnie, his daughter choked to death in Christine. It's that car. I swear it's the car. How's Christine coming? Oh, Cherry. That's funny, you know, because I, I heard she was told. Well, after I cleaned up the broken glass, it wasn't so bad. So what if you, you fix it up, you know, and he just comes back and does it again? He won't do it again. You know, tell me, this, this film, according to John Carpenter, is the first film to use bad to the bone. I, that was my understanding, actually, yeah. uh, based on on reading up on this, and and then so many, and a, actually, that was my understanding based on my my memory. Like I think that this is where I discovered that song. Oh. I saw oh. this film. Uh, um, well, I saw this film too early <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was this was one that that I should not have seen when I when I did see it. I was a youth, and it damaged me <laughs> in a way for years about wow. car about red cars. 
not just red cars, <laughs> about cars. Uh, no, it was this was this was scary when I saw it. How did it hold up for you um, this time around? Because last well, week, this... and I should say, because last week we came out of uh, of the dead zone, looking forward to seeing this film again because we thought this we were going to like it better. Right. How, right. How how do we do? I don't think I had seen this film since since it actually came out. I this was actually um, the very first R-rated movie that I saw, in in the movie theaters at least. Um, but uh, I uh, very distinctly remember it was my friend's birthday party, and I don't know how he convinced or he got his mom to convince all of our parents that they would take us to this R-rated movie. But we all went to see it. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was the same. God, I feel like party. I was at that party with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, yeah, and. I, it uh, left an impression on me, and I'm surprised that, considering I don't think I had seen it since 1983, how much of it I remembered, or at least very particular moments of it that I remembered. And um, I still found myself liking it quite a bit. It's, I think it's kind of a, a silly film. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the... Uh, I don't know. There's, it's, it, it really, by nature, feels very Stephen King. You know, this possessed car. It you know it does kind of just seem like some horror uh, way to kind of create a horror movie. Hey, let's make the car possessed. Um, but I still liked it, and it you know it it has its issues. But on the whole, I found it very fun and uh, very easy to watch. You know, I did too. I find myself like as we watch these these older King films, I, they I'm I'm finding they they have this this vibe that is that it's so dated. They're just they're so dated, and I feel like we've done films on the show that are of the same period that that aren't so dated. They aren't so rooted in the the culture and gestalt of the time and even the acting style of the time um that that this one just really stands out on that front and i found i found it really distracting and and um so you know in the same way that the dead zone and i you know we should say that you know we're 100 percent in agreement on the blot score this week uh ben lott wrote in with his weekly review and of our review and we're in alignment i feel like we're back on track uh, that it was episode, it felt like a TV movie, and that was this one. The Dead Zone—they're feeling more and more like TV movies to me. And uh, you know, in this case, uh, I was really surprised at just how not terribly scary it was. I—I uh, I remember it being terrifying, most be, mostly because like the first half hour of pizza at the pizza party after the movie saw the movie was like in stunned silence. Uh, <laughs> you know, just staring down and picking pepperoni off of the pizza because it, because it was really scary when we saw it as kids, and it just didn't hold up on that front to me. I didn't find myself connected to the uh, to the major characters, and and um, while I I do think uh, you know Keith Gordon did had some moments of shining you know glory in his performance uh, as you know this increasingly crazed car owner. Uh, I, I found myself just sort of uh, fading out uh, every time, you know, poor John Stockwell and Alexander Paul, uh, you know, hit the screen uh, as, as the two friends trying to trying to to save old Arnie from from his demon car. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that by enjoying it that I think that it works on all fronts and that uh, the performances aren't a little over the top and uh, you know it's not that scary, but I still found it really fun. And I think that's what, um, uh, what I don't know if it's a John Carpenter thing. I don't know if it's just the, the, the transition to the screen from the story. Um, but, um, yeah, but it's, it, it, it felt very, I mean, I think I, I end up this way with a number of John Carpenter's films where the stories themselves are kind of a little silly, but there's something that I just kind of enjoy about the, the tone of the film. And this film definitely has that. And it does feel dated. And it's not scary at all, uh, at least by today's standards. I certainly was scared when I watched it uh, in 1983. What's so funny um, about this, though, Andy, is that he's coming off of... Okay, obviously, Escape from New York, we've, we've acknowledged. We had, we had some troubles with that one. But The Thing immediately precedes Christine. And The Thing captures everything wonderful about the genre that I just love. And the mysterious creature the mysterious car like we have the same setup right i mean it's essentially the same genetic material that creates these two movies why is christine such a pale comparison to the thing well i I think some of that is is carpenter himself and what he was actually looking for to do after the thing remember when we talked about the thing it was regarded a uh, a critical failure at yeah. the, uh, you know, the, the critics thought it was way too gory for the time. They, uh, it didn't do very well at the box office and Carpenter really needed a hit and he needed to find something that he could do that, uh, that, you know, brought people back to the theaters. And so he found a story that he could tell that had some scares in it, but was not very gory. It had, you know, this, this killer car. I mean, the, if you think about it, there's really not a lot of blood. I mean, the car, uh, drives over some people, suffocates some people, uh, you know, uh, uh, closes blows, the lid on some blow, fingers, <laughs> blows some people up in a gas station, yeah. crushes some people, but it's all done fairly in a, for the most part, bloodless way. I think yeah. Arnie, when he comes flying through the windshield at the end is probably the only time we really see a, a deal of blood. Right. As he sort of disembowels himself with the glass. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. Um, and so I think that's part of it is is trying to find this this story that he could tell that was not the thing. And so I think he did take quite a turn from that, um, you know. But I don't know. I mean, it's not the thing. The thing really holds up. It's it stands the test of time. Christine is a dated film, um, but. I, I don't know. It's it's a dated film that I guess if I'm in the mood for, I can I can enjoy. I mean, I feel that way like with Prince of Darkness. You know, there's other John Carpenter films that that I feel that way. Not so much Escape from New York, but you know, I don't know. It, it, I can I can appreciate the datedness of it and put myself into a place where I can still enjoy it. See, there are films of Carpenters that celebrate the datedness, and I can love them for that camp. You know, they you bring me some They Live any day of the week, and I will watch it from from stem to stern. I love I, I love that I, I love the celebration of camp there. Right, yeah. uh, Escape from New York does not hold up well uh, for me. Uh, but right. you, you talk about fun, and this is obviously not a Carpenter movie, but we talk about about how much fun we had watching creep show in general yes oh yeah uh, yeah 
And that film, the fun and sort of hubris and uh, of, of that film really holds up for me um, with, again, some shining performances that I find are interesting in that film, and it's super dated, and yet I still find a way to connect with with the frivolousness of, uh, of it, you know? And in this film, I, I am not with you. I This is one that it, it, it comes on again, I find myself just super bored. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I have a real hard time con- making making that connection with the film as a whole. Um, now, like I said, we should start digging into some of the specifics because there are some areas of the film that I particularly like, and I think we should start with the car. Um, yeah. You know, the car itself is, is uh, I, I find, Im- immensely entertaining, particularly once, they, once it starts uh, healing itself. I, I think that's a fun uh, effect that they, that they solved there, but this sort of... Um, what what is it? A combination of reverse, um, you know, reverse film and um, you know, interior tricks to to make this it, thing work. Yeah, it's pretty much. I mean, it is reverse. Uh, it's where you put the camera upside down and film, and then you play the film. Uh, you flip the film when you play it, so it plays yeah. it in reverse. And uh, they had hydraulic clamps. Uh, the the effects guy built these hydraulic clamps inside the car that would kind of pull in and kind of crush the car and each different part as they were filming it and they would just kind of pull it and crush it and uh then when they reversed it it actually makes it look like the car is is um you know rebuilding itself and that is i think just a, a fantastic scene and it's just uh i don't know i i'm amazed watching it because it's it's so clear it just it works so well and it's just so nice seeing something that is done that way that doesn't it just there's nothing about it cg it just yeah. it feels so authentic you can't help but compare it to uh you know cars that turn into giant robots and and the difference that you get that sort of visceral feeling that you get as you're watching real metal scrape and bend and and you right. know screech you know it's a it, it ends up working i think enormously well and and i, I think it comes off uh, you know notably real it's like that's the part of the film that actually doesn't come off terribly dated to me it's it 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 works um, you know, I think they they ended up using a, a number of cars. Only two of them, I think, are left in in uh, uh, actually uh, left and restored. Um, but uh, but in general, I think the car acquits itself fairly well. Some of the larger set pieces, I have a little bit of trouble with because you get this sense, particularly at the end. You know, when the car is is you know throwing itself around the the giant garage, um, it's a little bit lumbering, and I think that takes away from its uh, the fear of it as soon as you lose that high contrast pitch black two headlights come on and you actually see this cherry red uh, you know 58 um you know what was it the plymouth plymouth yeah plymouth fury uh, yeah i mean as soon as you see it in broad light it it loses some of its mystery and horror when it's chasing somebody down a dark street and all you get are the headlights it's uh uh it, you know it's it's scarier um so, and it's really scary when it's chasing you in the middle of the night while on fire. Yes. <laughs> yes. More scary. Yeah, fire makes more scary. scary. Although uh, I will say I do like the fact that uh, it, toward the end there, when it, it uh, in that last fight, when it crashes into that one car and it pulls, it rips itself away. It rips the front in a perfect way to make this great little monster teeth. mouth right on yeah. the front. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I really, you know, it had, had this been a Michael Bay film, the mouth would have started to chomp. 
Right, right. I can't help thinking about that. Um, so in general, I think the effects around the car were really nice. Um, and, and I think that I think it works pretty well. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they had to find 24 of these uh, cars, and they used a, a variety of them, uh, Plymouth Furies and I think some Belvedere's and a couple other different cars to kind of piece these together to make. And, you know, they had, for different reasons, they had the, the one that was crushed. They had the ones that were reinforced to crash and to race and to get their sides ripped off. I mean, they had all these different iterations of the car. Um, they used 24 of them to piece uh, together 17 complete ones that they used, and they ended up destroying all but two of them in the process of making them. The uh, I, I did not, um, you know, I'm not much of a car guy, and so I found it interesting to find out that this, you know, the car, which is around the 58 Plymouth Fury, um, that the Fury itself, that model year of the Fury, only 5,300 of them were made, uh, and they were particularly expensive and hard to come by. So here's this movie that's about a car that you're about to destroy, uh, and it's tough to get a hold of the uh, get a hold of them, um, right? You know, so they that's uh, that ends up being why they end up building and piecing together all these the close up shots and making these Belvedere's look like Furies. Um, um, but uh, but it is a, it is a beautiful car. It really is. I mean, it's uh, it's it's pretty gorgeous. I found myself uh, fantasizing about tracking one down and buying it for myself. <laughs> but, I can see. You, I could actually see you doing that. I can only imagine how much they cost. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have quite a fan base now, too. I, I mean, especially the ones, you know, people who are fans of this movie and its car. I mean, there's actually a Facebook page, Christine Movie Car, that you can follow that, uh, you know, it's, it's as if the car is talking to you and it has its own Facebook page and its own website, too, ChristineMovieCar.com, which is all about, you know, it had its own ice bucket challenge recently. Uh, it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> It, it, if you're really interested in uh, this car, uh, you can definitely find lots of stuff about it. Well, I love they do the staged photos. Like, I, it, like you can actually go, you know, people who can go get their picture taken with the car in different stages of being murdered by it. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Pretty funny. It's very funny. Yeah. Uh, who, what else? Who else is, uh, is a real highlight for you in this film? You want to talk about Keith Gordon? Is he yeah. a guy that's uh, important well, to you? Well, I, I mean, I, I think that they're all worth talking about. I mean, I, I did enjoy them. I mean, Keith Gordon does play a very interesting nerd. Um, and he was an actor who had been kind of around in that period in uh, in early uh, early 80s movies. He, all that jazz, Dressed to Kill, uh, Legend of Billie Jean, Back to School. He'd been in kind of a lot of that. And then he transitioned into directing, and he directed The Chocolate War, which I didn't even know he directed The Chocolate War. I just remember watching that as a kid and uh, enjoying that film. But then A Midnight Clear, which is a, a film that I enjoyed quite a bit, uh, even up through The Singing Detective with Robert Downey Jr. So, I mean, he's uh, he's an interesting actor who's kind of transitioned into making projects, including directing a lot of TV now, like a lot of episodes of Dexter, and now he's directing some of The Strain, the new uh, the new uh, TV series that Guillermo del Toro um, I believe is based on the book that he co-wrote. And, well, and don't forget Masters of Sex and Homeland. I mean, two, those those two shows, I think, are, are really very strong, and, and um, his involvement, particularly in Masters of Sex, I think is such an interesting uh, interesting show, and, and um, it's good to see his his voice in those in those shows. I I think he's largely a better director than an actor. Well, you got yeah. I mean, his acting is definitely uh, 
it's an interesting performance and I actually like it. I, and I, I know it's very, it's a very kind of crazy over the top uh, performance, but it's like, it's one of those is like, is he really bad or is he, is it just working well? And, you know, just the way that he's kind of this, uh, you know, um, I don't know, like uh, trying to think of an actor who gets just like crazy over the top like this, like Al Pacino over the top explosions um, of emotion where he just kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, that's a little too much. But I don't know. Again, it's just like and and maybe it's just me and and this movie, you know, because I I think I do like it more than you do. But it's uh, there's something about him that in his kind of over the topness that I actually find myself enjoying. No, and I, I should I should correct myself there. I, I you know, he is one of the one of the pieces of the film that I find fairly compelling. And I think there are these scenes of great emotional intensity, for example, when he accosts his father um and and you know puts his hands around his neck and screams at him. I think that is a that's a sequence that I find like I that's an edge of my seat sequence. And it has nothing to do with you know the car or great horror scenes, but about him really taking on um, you know, using the the power that the car has given him to find his own internal strength, and uh, you know the the car gives him this strength in a very negative, a very dark way. Uh, but ultimately, it's a it's a really interesting story about uh, a kid who is beaten up and bullied, and given the opportunity to find that he has this other person inside of him that gives him power and confidence and strength. And I like that. It's sort of a it's sort of a coming of age, um, you know, broadening her horizons story, and it happens to be told around this this really negative um, sort of uh, fashion. But watching him take on um, the power structures around him as a youth, I find really interesting, and that that is a much more interesting angle in the show on the film than than I think some of the some of the particular horror. Although I do get a great visceral satisfaction of watching the bullies get their own uh, oh, yes. in the end. So. It's always fun. Yeah. yeah apparently, um, Kevin Bacon was uh, in talks to play that role. I could totally see that. And then he had to turn it down because he was uh, offered the lead in a little uh, film called Footloose. I was just going to say, and that, that town is still dancing. <laughs> they haven't stopped. They haven't stopped. That's their horror. <laughs> that's their curse. That's, that's it's right. actually the sequel. Why hasn't Stephen King written that book? Good bloody feet. Footloose 2. <laughs> Uh, yes, so he, I, you know, I think he's a he's a, 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 a solid performance in this film. And there's this there's this bit at the end, you know, right after he's he's disemboweled himself and he reaches up and sort of caresses the car one last time, and and I find that connection really uh, fun, you know, fun to well, watch him sort of say goodbye. And that's that's an element that I really like in this movie, and and maybe that's something that that still draws me to it is just this this idea of of guys and their cars, which is you know it's been around since cars have been around pretty much, you know this kind of obsessive nature that some guys have with their vehicles, and I think that Stephen King tapped into this idea uh, a little bit in this story about how some guys can be a little too obsessed with their cars, and uh, this takes it in a different direction. But I do like that idea of this guy takes it to this this place where he's so obsessed with his car 
Uh, I mean, obviously his car is possessed and it, it has kind of this demon and all of that, but there is this love story between him and his car, really, where it's like she does, it's almost like a strip tease when she kind of uh, fixes herself for him and, you yeah. know, she's showing Show off me. Her, her perfect body for him. It's a, a really interesting scene and the way they, the way they play it and the way he's watching and everything, it really is interesting. And leading up to that moment where he's, he is actually like, caressing her as as uh, as he dies and it's um i don't know i really like that element of these characters and this connection that they have here i i absolutely agree and i also really like the fact that um there's this story about this essentially jock character who is friends with a nerd character in a film and it's not something that you would see often in 80s films or any any decade really you just don't see where they're actually friends with each other and they help each other out even though they are in their own separate cliques and i don't know how realistic that is but i actually really like that element in there even if the the character of uh, of his friend is one that i find a little bland and that's one of the the uh, I guess we can talk about him next. One of uh, the next parts of the story uh, of the characters is John Stockwell's role. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I have a tough time, uh, predictably, with uh, with John Stockwell in this film. You see, you know, Bland is is right. I mean, he's right up there in this film with old two by four uh, for me, um, and that's you know it's tough to get through because like you say i mean it has the potential to be a really interesting relationship between these two guys and i I think uh this is an example of because of the performance uh we we it loses steam just about every time he's on screen yeah it's uh i mean there's there's something about him that i I kind of like, but and maybe I'm I'm putting into his performance just my knowledge of some of the other '80s films that he was in, like My Science Project, things like that. I mean, even Top Gun, where uh, you know, I, yeah, it's like uh, he he is like I feel like there's more to him than what we end up getting in Christine. Sure, so I, I feel like it ends up just being the way that it ends that it's written, and I mean that even goes all the way to the end, where I mean you've got this this relationship that that Arnie starts with Lee, the the new beautiful girl at school, um, only to have only to kind of break up with her because of Christine, but then and and then out of the blue, all of a sudden, you know. John Stockwell is now seeing her and it's like I, I mean I know we know that he liked her but there's this re- whole relationship that's like where did this come from why they're together now I mean how did that right. all happen well and that's definitely a script issue though too because oh, I mean yeah. that was that was very much a uh, you know that transition that love triangle was was something that was really leveraged in the book um, and not not so here yeah yeah so that's that's a little bit of a problematic element to the story. Um, and Alexandra Paul, I like her. I, I think she's fine as the beauty, but um, it's not... I, I don't know. I, I Again, I think it boils down to the script. I don't think there's enough of her in here to really hold, hold the, uh, 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 the importance of this other woman coming between Christine and, and her man. You know, I feel like there needs to be a little more. I mean, you know, they've they've got a, they're getting it on in the car at the drive-in. I mean, you know, it's I, I can see why Christine would get mad and stuff, but I I feel like I wanted to see more of that developing relationship 
between these two characters. Yeah, it was it was definitely underplayed, and it was it felt very much like they needed these set pieces to work, and they had to have from the book this relationship so that it could be the boy and the girl beat the car at the end. Right. We, yeah. we need the damsel in distress in order to make the, you know, uh, in order to make her sort of transformation at the end, um, you know, more interesting. Um, we need to have her be scared when, you know, Arnie comes up, at, you know, impaled in glass. We need those moments. And so her character was sort of shoehorned into into this the love tryst um, in a way that makes some unfair, I think, uh, and unwarranted assumptions about our understanding of the story. Uh, and it just makes that relationship relationship as you say it's less believable yeah it really is but wow alexander paul you know she's one of those faces though uh and and it was really fun to see her in this film and to and uh you know i i I don't i i didn't watch a lot of baywatch but i think that's how i i know her um sort of the sunday afternoon tnt is on kind of a thing um several years back uh, but the uh, but she's got a ton of credits the, the 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 way i know her which will and, and it's it's the funniest way to have her indelibly blur, burned into my brain but it's from dragnet as the virgin connie swale oh that's right oh the virgin connie swale uh, this was the uh, tom hanks of course yeah yeah dan Aykroyd uh, oh, falls for her goodness. and he refers to her every time he introduces her oh this is the virgin connie swale that's brilliant uh, i'd love that i had that's... i did not remember that yeah i don't oh, know it's just that's really good all right very funny very funny so that's alexandra paul yeah yeah uh it was great to see robert prosky in this however yeah, Robert Prosky is, gosh, he's just, he's always great. You know, and that's that's a, an element. I don't know if, um, I mean, I never read the book, Christine. Um, I don't, I, I, I know that his character um, has a bigger role in it as far as um, uh, Darnell is kind of, has this uh, smuggling operation going on in his, uh, in his garage and actually brings Arnie into it and has Arnie actually start going out and doing some runs and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And they make allusion to that, um, that, you know, right. Arnie at the end is driving the caddy and he's picking up parts and right. But it seems like he's just picking up parts. Like he's, it's a car shop. He's yeah. going to go pick up parts. It doesn't seem like there's anything illegal about exactly. it. And so Darnell seems like a relatively nice guy. I mean, he kind of works this deal. Hey, you, you know, you help out. You put toilet paper rolls on the on the little things, and uh, you know, I'll let you kind of get all your parts for your car out of my junk or whatever. He says he seems like a really nice guy, and so I'm like, why does Christine kill him? What is the motivation for Christine to off him? Mm. There's nothing, and that's that's my biggest. Uh, uh, complaint about the film is that there's no reason that Darnell should die. If anything, Christine should be very thrilled because Darnell is basically letting them have this place to work and basically getting all these parts to uh, be to help repair her. I'm glad you said that. I don't I don't see it either, and I I didn't make that connection at all. But but it it seems like a failing of the character of Christine when you give this car intelligence and then uh, take that intelligence away at key moments. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and making again, it just a blindly murderous machine after it's already um, expressed its own sort of will is, uh, I, I think that that may be the problem. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't make that much sense because the whole idea is that she's she's killing people that are are mean to her or mean to Arnie, really, right. or are, are stepping between the two of them. I mean, that's really kind of her M.O. And we learned that about her former owner, how essentially it was the same sort of thing. You know, she had kind of been doing this. I mean, granted, okay, the people, like the very first person who she slams her hood down onto his hand, there's no reason for her to do that either. I mean, the guy who drops his ashes into her seat, okay, he dropped, he, he's not being respectful. But the first guy didn't warrant it. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe she's just malicious in general. But, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I like that less, thinking that she's malicious randomly. I think that's, I think that's a great point. And it's, you know, and that, for me, I'm, is, is one of the pieces that I think, again, is a script challenge that, uh, where this falls short. Uh, because in the book, the car has a backstory. The car is, again, leveraging Stephen King's sort of spirit, supernatural horror vibe. Uh, the car is the the sort of vessel, the spirit of, of this, you know, bad guy. A bad guy who is speculated to have actually taken his choking daughter and put her in the car to die in the car. And it killed his wife. And he, be, he was so obsessed with this car that, you know, he is, that the car became the vessel of his um, sadistic spirit, right? Uh, yeah. And... And here, the car is coming off the manufacturing line, killing people, and and that is a, a point of weakness for me. Like it, it there is you know the backstory is um, is is not something that's that is not enough. There's not enough believable sort of material in there to actually get me to buy into the car being anything more than a mindless killing machine. Um, and I guess maybe that's fine it, because the relationship between Arnie and the car is so interesting, and hopefully it's sort of a sleight of hand. You don't really think about that fact. But, you know, if you've, if you've read the book, um, I, I think it's, it's a material omission. Yeah, and, and I mean, there definitely are people who complain about, it. and it's, I mean, it's, it's the it's the guy that he buys the car from is the one who uh, is, his spirit ends up inside the car. It's his brother, uh, the brother. Right. He buys the car from the brother of the guy who is in the car. Yeah. And um, and one of the reasons that they opted to cut that is because just uh, a couple years before, American Werewolf in London had come out. And we've got, you know, after his friend dies in that, his friend keeps appearing to him as kind of this rotting corpse and slowly getting progressively more rotting as time goes by. And what happens in the book, Christine, is the the dead figure of this, uh, of LeBay is the guy's name, he keeps appearing and kind of talking to Arnie. And he sits in the back seat, and he's kind of the one who's uh, who's driving Arnie to kind of go, you know, take this path and everything. But he's kind of this rotting corpse sitting in the back seat, and they really didn't want to feel like the movie was retreading uh, the ground that American Werewolf in London had already done. So, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons that they chose to cut it. Looking at it now, I, I think I, I don't know. I, I think maybe it would be more interesting if they found a way to do that, even if it wasn't as a rotting corpse in the back seat. But but finding a way to uh, get that spirit in there, even though I do like the fact that it's it really feels like it's just this possessed car that happens to you know. This, there's more of a love story between her and her man, whereas otherwise in King's story, it's this ghost story between this this uh, guy you know who's this former owner who's possessed the car. And I, I like that the love story angle that they took. 
yeah. I guess. Yeah, I do too. And and mostly because, you know, we end up with a collection of a lot of Stephen King's ghost story adaptations. Like he just he kind of likes this haunted spirit vibe. Yeah. And this is something that I think is just a little bit more um I, I don't know. It it it's it's a faith based horror film. You just have to take it on faith right. that um that there's there's something to this car. You either yep. do or you don't. Right. Um and uh of course uh Harry Dean Stanton. Mm-hmm. He's briefly in the film, but I just like this guy. I do too. It's his second uh second John Carpenter film after Escape from New York. Um, the third time we've talked about him, because we right. also talked about Alien. Alien. And this is his first of two Stephen King films that he was in, because he was also in The Green Mile. Oh, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harry Dean Stanton, always good. 190 credits to that guy. Yeah, he's a busy man. Busy man. Yeah. Uh, he is in, We've we I think we may have mentioned, I, it, we may have talked about it on the show and then cut it, but the video game Alien Isolation we talked about briefly as a oh, terrifying yeah, game. game. Yeah, he's, right. he is a voice actor in that in that film, in, in or in that game. It is out, the game, and uh, it, if you haven't gone and done any searching for YouTube clips of people playing the video or playing the game, it's hysterical. The game is really terrifying, apparently, and watching people play this game is uh is a source of great amusement to me mm. just watching i don't need to play the game i know it's terrifying to scare the scare the yeah. uh, snot out of me so I, i'll just watch other people and laugh it's really it's it looks scary. really amusing yeah it looks yeah yeah uh what else well um robert's blossom mm-hmm. pops up in this as uh as uh the brother who who uh you know sells this car to arnie um and he, you know, he's somebody that we've talked about a few times. He was in the hospital. Yes, that was actually his his first film that he was in. He was also in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and uh, he, you know, he's he's just one of those great faces that uh, he. And, and I just learned this, but he was actually originally cast to be uh, Ned Beatty's character in Network. No kidding. Yeah, but he ended up getting uh, replaced in pre production. That's fascinating. Yeah, very interesting. That would have been an interesting switch. It would have been. It would have been. Um, I think most people probably know him for Home Alone, where he played the old man who uh, Macaulay yes. Culkin ends up befriending. Yes. Um, but, I mean, he was in The Quick and the Dead. I mean, he's he was in just lots of stuff. He's just one of those guys who is in a lot of stuff. And he was actually in some of the episodes of The Equalizer. So, <laughs> <laughs> all over the place, this man. <laughs> Uh, what about this, uh, this, uh, you know, William Ostrander? Uh, you know, he's one of those, he's one of those faces that, uh, looks very familiar. And, but, uh, I don't know if I had seen him in that much more, had I? Well, you, you probably, you, you may have not, uh, but as it happens, uh, did you ever watch the show Knott's Landing? I never did. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Is it? Ted Shackelford was my mom's cousin. Ted Shackelford okay. was one of the stars in Knott's Landing. And uh, and so very close. And so I ended up watching an inordinate amount of Knott's Landing. And so I get excited about William Ostrander because he was also in Knott's Landing for a bit. Just a gotcha. little bit. But, gotcha. uh, but this was a spinoff of Dallas, of course. And, and uh, it was, well... There you go. 
<laughs> Knox Landing is weirdly close to my heart. <laughs> well, good, good for yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and then we have the uh, the random small uh, part of Kelly Preston in the film. Yes, very small. Yeah, but it was nice to see a young Kelly Preston popping up. I was like, oh. I, know I was her. expecting her to be the love interest. That's right. Because <laughs> I, I recognized her right off the bat. Pat on the back. Yeah, pat on the back. Good for you. Yes, yes. All right. The, um, the soundtrack for this, I think, is uh, rock solid. And when I say the soundtrack, I mean all the great songs that they play throughout the film. I actually do like the fact that Christine kind of talks through her radio and uh, plays these 50s tunes that uh, work really well, kind of speaking her mood. It was a great precursor to Bumblebee in the Transformer uh, uh uh, films, um, I think that uh, I don't know. Uh, you, this think that a <laughs> you think that was an homage? You think that was an a literal I'm homage? I'm sure that Michael Bay was looking for a way to do an homage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I I agree with you. The soundtrack is is really it's a lot of fun, and I I think you're right. I think that's a nice gimmick. It was a nice gimmick, you know, and certainly it was a fun gimmick with Bumblebee. I was I thought it was a it was worth a chuckle, and uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's a great score soundtrack. But it le- it lends a, a nice little bit of uh, uh, you know uh, there's there's this ominous thing when all of a sudden the radio turns on and it's playing you keep a knocking but you can't come in <laughs> yeah it's, I don't know football there's something kill your kids there's, <laughs> there's something a little creepy about that and so I you know I I really liked it now now speaking to the rest of the music John Carpenter is one of those guys who. Yes, he does a lot of his composing, and I kind of wish he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, totally. Especially this film. I, I did the score. I found was really annoying. It's yeah, and I I listened to him talking about it, and he said that what he does is he kind of he ad libs it. He kind of goes away for three weeks and just kind of he'll just kind of play around with his his synthesizers and just come up with this stuff. And it's just it it feels very ad libbed, and it doesn't feel cohesive. It just feels random. The funny note on that though is in junior high we had to do these uh, video book reports in uh, in my uh, English class, and I have no idea what the book was, but I directed this little video and it was a book about child abduction I, you know it seems awfully dark for so junior far, high yeah, so far it sounds horrible <laughs> but uh, but uh, the library oddly had a copy of the christine uh soundtrack and i ended up using some of uh, uh i think it was the uh, christine attacks plymouth fury track <laughs> from the soundtrack to play as this little girl gets abducted in an alley in this little uh, video that I made in my class. So even though I think the music is terrible, I always have to laugh about it because it brings me back to that uh, junior high moment. That's really funny. Ah, yes. That is really funny. Memories. Memories. Um, the soundtrack, beyond the soundtrack, uh, you know, the, nothing. This is one of those. Uh, Marion Rothman did the editing of the film, and I think, uh, you know, it's it, there was nothing particularly insightful about the the way the film was cut. Um, it, it was a pretty staid horror trope. Not a lot of the jump cuts, uh, of, but it's again, it's hard to do with a lumbering, you know, car. Well, but I will say I, I I liked that about the film. I felt that they found a way to kind of create those, and, and maybe it's because John Carpenter, I think, 
built some of that from his Halloween days when you you didn't have to rely on jump cuts. You could just have something happen in the background that people in the foreground don't notice. Uh, like when uh, in Halloween, when uh, Michael Myers sits up in the back and you know after she thinks he's dead, but he sits up and uh, you know that's a great moment. Yeah, you got those great moments here where, like as it was in Moochie, as he is uh, walking through the streets, the camera just kind of moves and, and it's got this dolly, uh, you know, as he's walking and you you reveal Christine way in the back, the deep background behind these these kind of columns under an overpass. And you just see her sitting there, and I think that's a great reveal. I really enjoy the way that happens. And then it also, I I find it fairly um, uh, a good use of making it frightening when those intensely bright headlights just kind of click on as if, uh, you know, it's that I see you moment, and then she charges. I mean, I, I love that. They use that probably two or three times in the film, and I think it's very effective every time. I, I actually uh, agree with that, and I, you know, I credited, uh, you know, obviously uh, Don Morgan cinematography for the for for so much of the camera movement and and just the way he places the camera and allows in the sequences where the car works as a stalker. It's it's where the car is in the distance. Not even there's some of the sequences where the car is running parallel. I mean, uh, there the when it's uh, uh, next to William Ostrander, for example, as he's sort of comes in to to notice that he's about to get taken uh, but the car is just moving in an interesting way and i think um, um, I, I think it it you know that is to the credit of the camera uh to to show the car in a way that makes it feel uh fleet-footed do you yeah. know what i mean like it feels lighter and uh more agile more nimble there are some sequences that don't work where the car is chasing people down and and um you know one sequence in particular what was the the larger boy's name um Moochie? Was it Moochie? Was it when the yeah. car the car actually gets him in an alley and and squeezes itself and wrecks itself in order to squeeze into the uh, into the the between the the buildings oh, see, there? I, I love that bit. Well, I do too. But it it what it's actually doing is is uh, it's sort of proving that the car can be lighter and more fleet footed and not as lumbering, and it can be scary even though yeah. it's in this big form. And I think there's a there there. But leading up to that, when he's running, and it, there is a little bit too much of the oh my god, I'm so scared of this car and these headlights behind me. I'm going to run down the middle of the street. Uh, like it, 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 there's too much of that context where you think, gosh, you know, you really, you could just get off the street. Like it's not that The car is far enough away that it's not that scary. And I think that's part of the problem that you get these fleeting glimpses where the car is positioned in a way that it really can be scary, that it's really watching you, that it really has personality. And that is in, that flies in direct contrast to a lot of moments in the film that are supposed to be scary and aren't. Well, and 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 I completely agree with you, but I I, I still can't help but find those fun because I mean, of course, I mean, you know, as, especially because the first time he gets away from Christine is because he he jumps over the divider in the road. You know, he, right. they've got the big concrete divider there, so it's just like just hang out by the divider, yeah. and every time she works her way to the other side, just hop back over. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> it, there's obvious ways to kind of avoid Man, the, the car. I can do know? this all night long. You know. <laughs> I mean, that's right. the yeah. So, but it's it's the nature of horror movies. It's of like course. why do people split up? And it's like, of course, they're you know, it's a car chasing you. So of course they're going to have to run down the middle of the road because yeah, else the car, car couldn't it, catch you. Yes, right. Yeah. 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 So uh, I don't know. 
But anyway, I think that's a feat to make the car in, in the sequences where the car really works, to make the car work uh, work well. And he surprises us, I think, occasionally with some funny Dutch angles and some some things that just some interesting camera work that uh, that I think particularly shine on Arnie and shine on the, the relationships that happen inside the car, um, you know, what he chooses to focus on in the car, the, the sort of artifacts of the car that, that become scary beyond just, oh my gosh, the door's just locked, but the door handles and the steering column and just little pieces of the car that they, they showcase really well. I think it lends to the car's ultimate kind of character in a yeah. nice way. So, yeah, that's what I have on that. I agree. Uh, we didn't talk at all about uh, Bill Phillips, uh, who did the screenplay adaptation. Oh, right, right. Uh, I, I don't know from Bill Phillips much. I mean, he's done a lot of TV movies. Um, the Beans of Egypt, Maine. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Pretty much after Christine, there's nothing else that I know that Bill Phillips did. No, I don't know uh, too much about him either. I'm not sure how he kind of came onto this job, um, unless he knew the producer or something. But um, but the producer, one of the producers of this, um, did actually, um, I'm trying to remember which producer, I believe it was uh, Richard Kobritz, had produced these, uh, your favorite, the Salem's Lot miniseries. Yes. And, um, and he was talking to Stephen King, who was like, you know, I've got this new manuscript that I just wrote. It's not, uh, it's not uh, anything I've done anything with, but do you want to read it? And he, and he read it, and it was for Christine, and he loved it, and he wanted to option it, so he did right away. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of how that ended up happening, and then he kind of right away uh, found somebody that he could tap into as far as... Um, you know, the right director for the job. And he thought that uh, John Carpenter would be great. And this, you know, they actually timed this very well because Christine, the book was published uh, as a hardcover while they were in production on this film. And it was like number one on the shelves. And then by the time the movie came out, the the, the paperback was out and uh, that was number one. And so this was one of those rare moments when the movie and the book were out at the same time. And it it worked really well, I think, and, and, you know, for all of the people involved. Wow. Wow. That's, I, I didn't, I actually didn't catch that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cause I think the other adaptations, um, have all been much, uh, later like Carrie. Well, Carrie was a couple years. The mm-hmm. shining was three years. Creep show, you know, it kind of a few little short stories and stuff like that. But Cujo was a couple years. So, I mean, they're all like, you know, two to four years after. And Christine is the first one where it's like right on. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Where was John Madden? I don't know. I didn't catch him either. Apparently he's uncredited in this movie. Is he really? Yeah. That's interesting. I know. Go figure. Was somebody watching t- t- football somewhere? Must, must have been. I didn't catch <laughs> him. TV in the background? I missed that completely. Kind of, hard to miss. kind of a hard to miss guy. Yeah, unless he was a coach for the other team in the football game. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, huh. I was hoping you caught that. No. Uh, interesting anybody else that stands out to you or you want to talk money you know john carpenter is the only other one that i think is is worth talking about i mean he is he he is a very interesting director who rose up from kind of the the very low budget indie world and always kind of kept that indie hat on and uh you know this definitely was not a a big budget film but he still kind of is working with his indie kind of his indie mentality and uh, this was his what his uh 
fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth film. And, you know, I think, I mean, I, I think that his, uh, you know, The Thing right before this and Big Trouble in Little China right after are probably my two favorite films of his. Um, this one falls right in the middle. I do enjoy it. Um, but, I, I, you know, he's one of those directors, I think, who's, who's had some, some uh, definite some highs and some lows. And I think his career, unfortunately, really fizzled in uh, the, toward the end in 2001 was his last uh his last theatrical release with uh, Ghost of Mars, that was a big dud. And he's directed a few little um, straight-to-video things now, like The Ward and some of those uh, Masters of Horror, things like that. But um, this was really kind of his peak from, from the late 70s until into the 80s. This was really, I, I think They Live was probably kind of his last, uh, you know, I don't know, last if you can call it great film yeah um, i mean from there he goes on to uh, memoirs of an invisible man which was again rather forgettable yeah um, body bags which i never saw in the mouth of madness which i haven't seen but you like that one right yeah yeah that was it and that's what i was gonna say like there are some in there at the end and i i don't i which one was ghost of mars that was uh that was the ice cube oh Natasha no no, yeah, no i didn't like that yeah. one no that was terrible <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was the Mars one that wasn't very good. Right. Um uh but uh, yeah, Mouth of Madness, Sam Neill is I you know pretty much put Sam Neill in a film and I'm going to like it no matter what. But uh, really that run of The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble in Little China, Prince of Darkness, They Live, uh that that run like I can find something to like in all of those films. Yeah. And, and as I said, even though like Christine is one that I'm not going to really seek out to watch again, I, I feel like there are some elements on it that I can that I can certainly appreciate. It's not it's not Rush. No, no, it's not Rush. I mean, it, it's it's a very easy movie to watch. You know, it's it's nothing that I'm going to uh, be drawn to time and time again. I mean, like I said, I haven't seen this since 1983. Right. So, so obviously, I haven't been rushing out to uh, to kind of check it out time and time again. But I I was pleasantly surprised. I, you know, I wouldn't turn it off if it comes on. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I probably would, but I don't think we differ all that far after this conversation. Right, right. Let let us do talk about the money, can we? Yes, yeah. It ended up costing, you know, from hearing them talk about it, it was about $9.7 million. Um, so it actually was a little more than Cujo, a little less than Dead Zone, as far as our three 1983 Stephen King movies. Um, and you know it did it did well for itself. It grossed domestically about uh, just over twenty one million dollars. So uh, all told, adjusted profit per finished minute is about uh, again it beats out the dead zone really by about thirty bucks two hundred forty four thousand six hundred thirty six dollars and thirty six cents per finished minute. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. We actually had a discussion about profit and cinema at my dinner table the other night, and I brought out my laptop to bring up your spreadsheet <laughs> in order to explain profitability in the movies. That is right. how great your spreadsheet is. People, if you haven't seen this spreadsheet, go to thenextreel.com, click on extras, and look at Andy's, uh, it's the cost per minute breakdown spreadsheet. You've got to click on that, and oh, it's a Google Doc, and it's meticulously maintained and beautiful. Uh, it is a it's a work of, of art. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite that far, but yes, it. I don't know, it's weird little pleasures that i get out of things like this so uh, what are you gonna do <laughs> it makes me delightfully happy that you, that you do 
all right. I think we should rank it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can like us and pair us or friend us, pair us, mate us over there. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but if you head over there, you'll see our stack rankings for our very, very favorite movies and some of the ones that we don't like so much, too. So we should see if your stack rankings lines up with ours. And will Christine beat 78? <laughs> we shall see. We should pick 83 because it's 83. 83. You're you right. Go. 83 and 83. All right. So perfect first choice here. Christine or Brian De Palma's Carrie. Carrie. Yeah, I would go with Carrie. Christine or The Sandlot? The Sandlot. I would do The Sandlot. Christine or Escape from New York? Oh, I would do Christine. Jeez, Christine. <laughs> Christine or the Parallax View? I would do the Parallax View. Yeah, so would I. Christine or Prometheus? I would do Christine. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I know I know that Prometheus has some challenges. Non-trivial challenges. But you have to admit, it's gorgeous. There is it, some, is, it is gorgeous. You're right. Like, it's, it is a joy, a visual feast. It, it it it's yes, but Christine is actually enjoyable to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you're being a little hard on it. I'll give you Prometheus, even though I think you're wrong. <laughs> How's that? Fair but enough. I I claim this one though. Christine or the Spanish Prisoner? <laughs> oh, nuts! Let's take back the other one. I want this one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right all right i think you are wrong i think you're horribly wrong on this front but i'll give it to you even just watching christine rebuild herself is better than anything of the spanish prisoner that is that's wrong and and hurtful i know (laughs) i i take it back all right christine or my dinner with andre i would definitely put christine on first but i do find my dinner with andre an an insightful, interesting film to watch. Although I just don't know if I'm going to watch it that many more times. Yeah, I'm going to give you Christine on that. All right. There you go. Number 130 out of 153. Did not Did not hit 83. 83. <laughs> no, to the bottom with a bullet. Mm, yes. uh, what are you going to do? Where do we go well, from where do we go from here? I mean, what is it looking up? We're we're on the last, you know, the 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 back half of our Stephen Kingathon. We're going to be, uh, we're, you know, it's interesting. We, um, I don't think we planned this at all, but somehow we ended up talking about all of the initial films of Stephen King adaptations to film, uh, at least the movies, not the made-for-TV, the Salem's Lot, but we've already talked about 1976's Carrie, and then we've done The Shining, Creepshow, Cujo, The Dead Zone, and Christine. Now we're going to be taking a, a bit of a jump. We're going to be going all the way to 1986 to talk about Stand By Me. The, now this one I feel fairly confident in saying I like better than Christine. <laughs> I think I would agree with you on that. Now, we're leaving out, just, just so people know what we're not talking about of Stephen King adaptations, Children of the Corn. The hand in the I, blender thing was too much. That's what it did it for me. Ah, that, that was crazy. That's a, it's an interesting that one. That is a bananas film. 
and all of its sequels. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Firestarter, Cat's Eye, Silver Bullet, or Maximum Overdrive. We're skipping all of those and jumping to Stand By Me. I think the only one that I regret skipping a little bit is Firestarter. I had a good time watching that film. Honestly, I don't remember much about Firestarter. Um, so I actually remember liking Cat's Eye because it's one of those short story anthology films. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, um, some of the stories in that one. Cat's Eye. That was the one where the cat sits on the chest and sucks the soul out of your nose. No, the little creature sits on the on the on your chest and sucks the oh, soul. Oh, the cat saved you. The cat you. is trying to save you, right? Yeah, okay. But then it's that. also got the one Quitters Inc. about the guy who tries to quit and he joins this company called Quitters Inc. Where it's like you know this mafia company that basically yes. <laughs> They like hold your wife hostage and kill your child if you smoke. <laughs> if you smoke. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, I had totally forgotten that. And, it, and then it's the ledge is the other one where the guy has to walk around the ledge of the of the building. And I can't remember anything outside of like why he had to do that. I don't remember, but I just remember like there's pigeons on the ledge and stuff like that. So, oh, that's great. Cat's Eye was a fun one. Cat's Eye was a fun one. Yeah. I you know Silver Bullet was one of those ones. Uh, Corey Haim. It, there's Gary something Busey. about that. Yeah, that was a, it was a very fun movie to yeah. watch. Uh, you know, I always wanted that wheelchair. <laughs> I wanted that wheelchair something awful. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. And then Maximum Overdrive was Stephen King's, uh, I think it was the only film he directed, maybe. And I just remember, um, even he thinks it's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Sure. So. A lot of mysterious car movies in this guy's catalog. Mm-hmm. The car, and, and books, too, I guess. Yes. Uh, what was the other one from a Buick 8? Buick 6, Buick 8. Buick, right, right, right. There's another mysterious car thing. All right. Yeah, I, he doesn't uh, have any Herbie the Love Bug sorts no. of story. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, he does not. Uh, let's, uh, I, I think that does it. I think, I think does so. It. I, gotta, I gotta go to bed. All right. I'm gonna go polish my car. This is uh, from Andy, who says it's the worst movie adaptation he's seen back in 2001. Wonder how the last 13 years have been for him. (laughs) What can I say about Christine? Well, to put it bluntly, it stinks. But to be more fair, I'll tell you why. The movie does follow some progression in the story, but they switch the scenes around and take too many creative liberties in this movie. The uh, Stand By Me keeps closer to the book than christine does this movie's just does not follow along the book in any way shape or form except some key scenes in conclusion stay away from christine the movie and stick to the book wow yeah well you know you try hater hater haters gotta hate you gotta hate her i gotta hate her mine is a one-star review from banana split lady who says, wasn't into this geek becomes cool boredom train. When cars kill, they love. When Satan cat kills, it's for love. Get real, people. <laughs> Who is Satan cat? It's like a haiku or something. I love haiku, Amazons. <laughs> Jeez. Satan cat. Satan cat.
I feel like I should give a better lead into that. But hey, everybody, guess what? <laughs> Go ahead, take it again. This is live to tape. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of that, Andrew, do we have any updates this week? Well, we've got one more week, folks. For to get crying your, out loud, uh, that was your big, that was your big, uh, exciting <laughs> intro to this segment. What am I supposed to say? Jesus, Eeyore, did you step in poop? (laughs) (laughs) I want that to be my ringtone. Jesus, he ordered you seven poop. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh man! I'm, I'm, I'm tickled. I'm just tickled that that tickles you so. <laughs> laughing fits i just can't stop <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> oh, oh dear <laughs> okay uh, let me get some water you, here. sure Ooh. you do what you need to do <laughs> oh. oh okay <laughs> all right shall we try this again <laughs> yeah. uh, yes all right <sighs> okay <laughs> I'm ready Speaking of, Andrew, do we have any updates that we need to update to the people this week on that front? Boy, boy, do we ever, Pete. <laughs> Let me tell you. There you go. That's the spirit. Stop doing it. I'm never going to get through this. It's going to be <laughs> damned impossible to edit. I just got to cut out the middle 40 minutes. That's right. Uh, okay. I'm ready. Hey, Andrew, speaking of, do we have any updates for the people on that front this week? I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022... We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 